Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. preach on a really hard topic, sometimes it's good to start off a little lighthearted. okay? I think maybe you sensed from the reading this morning that you're going, uh-oh, maybe I should have come next week versus this week. So I thought, you know, there, there's, some, there's some interesting warning labels that are put on products, and I discovered these warning labels underneath this heading of 21 stupid warning labels that will make you feel like a genius. I think you'll appreciate some of these. Warning label on a wheelbarrow. Not intended for highway use. <laughs> the greatest thing about these, you know somebody did these things, right? Warning label on a baby stroller. Remove child before folding. You're just picturing some poor child. Okay, warning label on an Apple's website. Do not eat the iPod shuffle. 
This is important for some of my hungry individuals in here. Warning label on a Chipotle truck. Notice drivers do not carry burritos. <laughs> you can see somebody like cutting them off and like banging on the door. Like I didn't have lunch, feed me. Um, warning label on a carpenter's drill. This product is not intended for dental use. Yeah, yeah, that was probably a lawsuit or something. Uh, warning label on a takeout coffee cup, and we've seen this, right? Avoid pouring over a certain area of the body. Warning label on a jet ski, this is my favorite. Never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level. And finally, a warning label on the dishwasher. Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. You're, you're hearing those and you're laughing, but at the same time, you're picturing some individual actually doing those things. But you're like, common sense, right? Common sense tells me that, that I shouldn't do that. Right? Common sense says, you know, I'm not going to put my child in a dishwasher. Somebody told me a story this morning about how, how one of their relatives, the kitten, you know, they had warm clothes in the dryer, and they, this kitten jumped in the dryer, and they started the dryer, and no more kitten, right? And so the children now continually remind mom and dad before they start the dryer, check for the kitten, right? Common sense tells us that those things shouldn't take place. The author of Hebrews has just given the culmination of his argument here in Hebrews 10. He has given us the command. So if you believe this, if you get it, like last week we really hit on that. Like if you get it, you do these three things. Like if you get it, you listen to these cohortives, you, you consider one another, you, you hold fast to your confession, and, and you continue to draw in to God. You draw near to God. If you understand that you have this great high priest in heaven who continually intercedes on your behalf, it changes how you practically live. And you draw near to God. You want to be close to God because Jesus is interceding and he creates this ability to enter into the holy of holies. To so draw near to the throne of God. Jesus makes it possible for at any time in our hour of need to draw near to God. So the author of Hebrews says, if you get it, draw near to God. Duh. If you get it, do this. If you get it, hold fast to the confession. And last week we said, like, hold on, clinging. It's like that cat. That's, you know, you have all seen the cat hanging on the curtain? Just like dug into the curtain, hanging on for dear life. I mean, that's how we should be clinging to the confession of our hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We cling to that. That is, we don't reject it. We don't run away from it. We cling to the confession of hope. And last week we, we talked about the seriousness, the, the gravity of this expression of consider one another. We talked about that the pastors kind of abused this a little bit to try to plus up numbers on a Sunday morning. They said, see, this is why you come on a Sunday morning is because don't forsake the gathering together of the believers and even more so as you see the day drawing near. And we said, you know, that's, that's good. Sunday mornings are great. But that is not the fulfillment of this passage. 
if we look back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, we understand again that it's the same word that he, the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus Christ. And we wouldn't treat Jesus Christ that flippantly like, yeah, I'm checking Jesus off the box by meeting together once a week from this time to this time. But that's the way we treat how we're to consider one another with that flippancy saying, well, I went to church on Sunday morning. I've considered one another. No. That we're to think upon how to encourage each other in the faith and build each other's faith to love and good works. We're to think about that often. We're to remember each other in prayer. We're to be present in each other's lives. We're to be checking in with each other. And that doesn't happen as we're seated in rows on a Sunday morning. That happens as we're picking the phone up and calling each other, as we're getting together for coffee, as we're having breakfast together, as we're having meals together, as we're celebrating life together, as we're gathering together throughout the week. That's how we consider one another. And brothers and sisters, that's not the high bar. That's the do you get it bar. If Jesus, if you're sitting here saying, yes, he is my high priest and he is my God and my king and I want to live for him, then Jesus says, the author of Hebrews says here, go and do these things. This is what is expected of you. Now, in good fashion and good... Jonathan Edwards preaching fashion. If you don't know who he was, he was a preacher in the early history of our nation and he is well known for one particular sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And Jonathan Edwards takes, takes this incredible poetic imagery and, and he paints this picture of somebody being held out over the huge chasm of hell and the fires and the flames reaching up towards this individual, reaching for him, like grab him and grab him and he's held there by this single strand and he paints that picture at any moment something's going to come along and cut that strand and you're going to fall into this abyss of hell for all of eternity. People believe that night, let me tell you. A lot of people believed. He paints a very terrible image of if you choose not to believe, if you choose not to trust in Jesus Christ, this is what awaits you. Brothers and sisters, if you reject the truth of Jesus as your high priest and yet try to maintain a confession of faith, I believe, but I don't want to do, there comes a warning label that should make common sense to us when we hear this. We shouldn't be surprised when we hear these words. Now I know, and I delight in this, and I've talked about it before, that in this congregation, we have people from all different backgrounds, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Assemblies of God, Nazarene, Free Methodist, um, United Method. We've got a lot of different backgrounds gathered here in this room. And I love that. Yes. And we got what different views on how we take this passage, whether or not you can lose your salvation. Okay? We're not going to argue that point this morning. In fact, I don't think that that's the point of this passage at all. I think the point of this passage, as it has been from the beginning of Hebrews all the way through to this point, is if you say you have faith, this is what your life should look like. 
And if your life doesn't look like that, we assume you have no faith. And we're going to see this warning statement because we've got this contradiction of terms. How many of you know what is cognitive dissonance is? A few folks. Okay. I'm, I'm doing some, some coursework and preparing for my future. Um, right now I'm going to, to school through Liberty online. And thank goodness for the Army paying for that. It's so fantastic. Like, and so I'm taking an organizational behavior course right now. And cognitive dissonance was one of the terms that we have to do these discussion forums that I had to comment on. And the guy did a great job, one of my classmates did a great job of writing up the cognitive dissonance and explaining it. Basically, cognitive dissonance is you say you believe one thing. We say we believe that Jesus is our high priest. We say that we believe he intercedes before us. We say that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice, we have been washed clean and we're in relationship with God the Father. We, we say we believe this, but our actions demonstrate something else. When we live like that, we have to eventually break this down and change. Eventually, we're going to have to change what we believe in order to maintain this behavior. The author here says there in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. Hold the phone right here. This isn't some casual, like, uh, like my, you imagine our kids coming in after, like, you know, having a day outside and you notice that there's, like, the cookie jar lid. That, I'm just giving you an example from my own childhood. The, the cookie jar lid is a, a jar. It's not nicely placed on there, or in my case, it was an owl. And for some reason, I kept putting the owl's head backwards on the cookie jar. And so I would come in, and I would be like, oh, mom and dad, you know, uh, that mom said, you know, Scotty, did you have any cookies? And I'd look at her, and I'd immediately start crying. And I'd say, yes, I had some cookies. And she would tell me, no, well, you're not going to get any cookies after dinner. Th- this isn't that. This is a deliberate, willful, continual, perpetual sin in a person's life who professes to know Jesus and who professes to be in relationship with God. This isn't something just trite or like trivial. This is deliberate, willful disobedience against God. Look on what he goes on and how he goes to describe this. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, which shouldn't surprise us. The book of Hebrews has been building this argument of how great Jesus is. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Abraham. The revelation he brings is greater. His power is greater. His creative work is is unsurpassed. His sacrifice was greater than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It was once and for all, complete in totality. He's the greater high priest than the Levitical priesthood because his priesthood doesn't end. He doesn't have to sacrifice something for himself. He only sacrifices for those who who are sinners. Jesus is greater, so we shouldn't be surprised in here. He says, like, hey, if this was what happened in the Old Testament, if this is what the punishment was in the Old Testament, don't you think the punishment should be so much more severe in the New? Because you are rejecting the very work and person of Jesus Christ. And you can't do that 
without a fearful expectation of judgment. You got to hear me this morning. I don't care what camp you're in. I'm not going to lose my salvation. I am. You can't do it. You can't reject Jesus without expectation of judgment. In a world in which we live that God is love and light, light fluffy clouds and marshmallow God, that isn't our God. He is a holy and just and a righteous God. And thank goodness he is. Because that is the only way that we have any hope because he is holy, he is just, and he is righteous, and he has holy wrath that is delivered appropriately and egregiously against sin. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? First of all, that should break your heart. This is my Jesus. This is my God. How could somebody trample underfoot? My God, this imagery of of being underfoot has already been used, right? It's Jesus seated upon the throne and his, his enemies serve as a footstool for his feet. It's a sign of authority. Jesus is a a full authority seated on the throne over his enemies. Guess what? When we trample underfoot the Son of God, we say we have full authority over the Son of God. And we trample underfoot his, his personage and his work. What he accomplished before us. This is egregious. This should break your heart. That a person who professes, because this is what's going on here. This isn't, this isn't people out living in the world who say we don't want anything to do with Christianity or God. These are people who say we love Jesus. We are going to church. We are part of a church family. These are people who profess to be in the family of God. This is egregious. As the sermon chat team got together this week, we began to wrestle with what this looked like. And I'm about ready to take some stands that you may not like. But I'm going to make them anyways because you need to hear it. When a body of believers turn and they say, And I'm saying this is Christians. When Christians turn and they say, what Jesus made in the garden, Adam and Eve, wasn't good. That Adam and Eve are not in the image of God. And they change it so that homosexuality now becomes accepted within a church body where pastors can serve as homosexuals And people are allowed to become members and serve in leadership and serve in the church body as accepted members of that church body. Let me hear you really loud. That is wrong and that is egregious and that shows contempt for the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus made it this way. And he said, and man and woman is in the image of God. And you've got to understand that with this attack from that unbelieving world, the unbelieving world we expect that from. But when you make the statement that you're a child of God, you want to understand things from God's perspective. 
And to say as a church body that that's okay is to show contempt, is to stand upon the Son of God with your feet firmly placed upon him and say, I know better than you. My plan is better than your plan. Even though you're the creator, even though you fashioned and formed things perfectly, I know better than you. Now, am I saying, do we hate them? Absolutely not. Those that struggle with the sin, for some reason we love ranking sins. Let me what, you struggle with obesity, you struggle with sexual immorality and other ways where we somehow think it's okay to what we do on our computers at home alone. Let me tell you what, it's just as egregious as sin as homosexuality. Stop ranking sin. It's all gross. It's all egregious. Let me tell you something. And so we need to love those people. They need to be welcomed into our homes. As scary as that might feel to you, we need to be showing them the love of Jesus Christ. And they're welcome to come here. And if you're here this morning, and if you're that, you got a lot of courage coming here. I'm glad you're here. And I say this not because I hate you, but because I love you, because Jesus wants to have abundant life with you. He wants to give you the goodness that you were made to have in him. And that's how we have to love people in that perspective. We can't be scared of them. We can't run away. We got to reach out to them and love them because they need to know that Jesus loves them. And let me tell you what, that's the thing they need to know. Not that they're living in sin because they don't understand that. They need to know the love of Christ so that Jesus can change their hearts and their lives. And if you come at them with their sin, thank goodness Jesus didn't come at you that way. He came at you showing you the love of Christ and forgiving you for your sin and not condemning you. He saves us. And the other hot topic that I see Christians now is abortion. How can a body of believers a body that professes to follow the word of God, say that in any way, that shape, shape or form is right. And if you're here this morning and you're a woman that has, has made that choice in your life, I want to tell you right now, God's grace is sufficient to heal you from that. His love is more than enough. And we're a safe place for you to confess that, repent of that, and we'll walk alongside you and journey with you to see God redeem that part of your life. God's grace is more than sufficient. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, we cannot say that the murdering of a child is okay. I went to Southwestern College in, in Phoenix, Arizona. In my ethics class, they showed an abortion in ethics class. I was 19 years old. And I thought up to that point in my life that was a woman's issue that guys shouldn't really have much to say about that. But when I saw that, I'll tell you that's the most evil thing I've ever seen in my life. And I decided from that moment on, it wasn't a woman thing. It's a Christian thing, and Christians got to speak up about Amen. that. Amen. But there's a way to speak up about it yes. that shows the love of God, and there's a way to speak up about it that shows hatred. And we can be a people of peace even as we deal with a world that believes that somehow that's okay. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I, we're not Democrat, Republican, whatever in this church body. We're Christian. And I want you to vote biblically. But when it comes to the issue of abortion, there's no, there's no gray area. It's wrong. It's murder. And for Christians to say 
that the creator, when he fashioned and he, he, God breathed upon Adam. You talk about value. Life has been given by God. It's extremely valuable. It's extremely precious. It's not to be worshipped, but it's extremely valuable and precious. So we need to speak into that. We as believers, we should not be able to say that. That shows contempt for our creator and that what he created isn't valuable. Nobody's gotten out and left yet. That's good. Here we go. Let's move on. He goes on to say here, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of Jesus? Christians, or people professing to be Jesus followers, who say that the blood of Christ was not enough. I've got to somehow earn it. I've got to somehow add to it because it's not enough. Like what Jesus did upon the cross when he said it is efficient. Let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, when you try to earn it, you turn to Jesus and you say, liar. Because when he said, it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. It's done. It's done. The penalty has been paid to the Father. The penalty of our sin and our brokenness is done. It's paid. There's nothing more we can do to earn it. It's just to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And get married. Or and do like come to church 52 out of the 54 times a year. You're like, no. No. No, believe. And that belief radically changes us. And then, yeah, we desire community. Yeah, we desire to know what God's word says. Yeah, we desire these things. But it comes out of belief. Out of that faith that God gives to us. Observing the Lord's Supper in rebellion against God. What do we remember up here? The death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we remember the blood that he shed for us, the blood that washes us clean. And if we sit here, take this week after week in rebellion against God, do you not expect some form of judgment? This is a holy thing we do. We, we don't believe that these change, these elements change, but it is a holy thing that we do. And we remember. Anything I want, Monday through Saturday, and on Sunday I say a prayer and it's all good. The blood of Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, His blood poured out poured out by the buckets. When we treat our sin as if it's not that bad, 
we profane the name, the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin stinks. Sin is gross. Why do you think Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn? For they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's not mourning about lost loved ones. That's mourning over the fact that we're sinners and we put Christ upon the cross. Our sin placed him there. And to treat our sin as if it's not that bad or this sin is, yeah, I don't really need to get a handle on that one, you know. You don't, no. He finally finishes. The third thing he says here in 1029. And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. If you ever want to get into a really long, boring discussion over that with me, I did my master's thesis on those three words, spirit of grace. A hundred pages. Quite literally, what is being pointed at there is mocking. It's mockery of the Spirit of God that reveals to us our brokenness and the holiness and righteousness and beauty of Jesus Christ. I think we can all agree here, there's no coming to Christ apart from the Holy Spirit's first movement in us. The Holy Spirit reveals our brokenness. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Jesus Christ. How dare us turn and mock the one that enables us to believe that when he convicts our hearts, we say, no, we reject it. For, for, for people of God, if we sit here and we say that we're children of God and we're, we're followers of God and when he calls us to obedience, we reject that calling, we mock the Holy Spirit's work. Like, you don't know. You think about Moses and when Moses was being called by God and said, but I got a st- 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 stuttering problem. He was mocking God at that moment. Who made his mouth? God did. God made you. He knows you. You're not popping any surprises on him. So when he calls you, he wants to see and move out. He doesn't need our opinion on the matter. We mock him by saying, but God, I don't want to, but God, I've got this. No, obey. When we deny the truth of Jesus Christ, and John made a poor important point during our studying of this, each one of these could go back to the other. This idea of denying the truth, we deny that certain sins aren't sins, and we call them good. When this Holy Spirit convicts our hearts of sin, and we refuse We refuse to confess our sin and repent of it. We dig in our heels and we say, no, and we got some sort of sick, twisted thing about power. Like, uh, I can't let this go. Like, if I let this go too quickly, then, then, then God won't truly forgive me of it. Or we hold it as some kind of power tool against God. Like, I'm going to hold on to this so I don't have to follow God or I don't have to listen. It's sick, it's disgusting, and it's wrong. 
Because Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, means that we can be forgiven and draw near to God and have that washed clean and guess what? Be in relationship with God once again. And we mock the Holy Spirit's convicting work in us when we refuse to repent. I don't get it, church. I don't get it. Why we won't confess sin. I don't get it. It is the most wonderful, amazing thing. We had some of it in our house last night. I went to bed in tears because repentance is beautiful. Repentance means I restore relationship with people. Repentance means that we're, we're, we're in the presence of God. But to deny repentance, I won't. I'm so angry about this. I'm so bitter about this. I refuse to do that. It means that you're taking that position and you're saying, I want to sit at the right hand of the Father. I want to be the high priest for a while. No. You're back to showing contempt and profaning the blood of Jesus Christ. God says, just forgive. Let it go. Surrender. I want you. God wants us to draw near he wants us to hold fast. He wants us to be this community of believers that puts us on the beacon display because the world says, don't let it go. The world says, you better hold on to that because if you do, that other person's going to one-up on you. Guess what? Go ahead, one-up on me. My, my God's got my back. Amen. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Guess what? That applies to that too, that I don't have to defend that. I think we could all agree beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter where you are on the salvation issue of permanency or you can lose it, that this behavior is gross and wrong and unacceptable for any believer. And if you're here this morning, I want to, Brian Fram has joined us in in sermon chat now and we're really enjoying it. Um, and he encouraged me to do a flowchart. Usually this is Steve Furman's area. So Steve, I apologize for my shoddy flowchart, okay? Listen, to live in such a manner that when we sin, we don't repent is an evidence of no faith. Let me repeat that again. If you're in sin and you refuse to repent of that sin, it is if you are not a believer of God. How can you sit there and say, I believe in God and refuse to repent? And you should be terrified right now in this moment. You should be terrified. The fact that you're digging in your heels against God, God is a powerful God. And if you're his child, oh, he go get his own. And he'll bring you home. And let me tell you what, it won't be pretty. But God is more interested in saving your soul than it is about your comfort and my comfort and what feels good. He is jealous for you and for me. But the beauty about our God is he provides for us. We don't repent. We move down into contempting God. We move down into profaning the name of Jesus. We move down in mocking the spirit. Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm calling you home. Come back. There's repentance. There's forgiveness. And I know this is made, some people may disagree in this room, but I believe that God's forgiveness and repentance. You know, last week I told you guys, don't let go, right? We had this image. I, I 
the guys in the sermon chat team think I have a thing for rope ladders. We had this image of a fire like happening in the upper stairs of your house. You throw out the rope ladder and you're climbing down and your kid's feet fall and you're screaming at your kid, don't let go of the ladder. Like get your feet back underneath that rung. Well, this week I want to tell you to let go, okay? We've got another image for you. How many of y'all water ski? I've tried it once, okay? Once. Big guys struggle to water ski, okay? And, and I, I, I'm, I'm water skiing, and I'm, I'm doing this with Christy's uh, dad and stepmom and her uncle, and we're in the water, and they start pulling me along, and I, my butt is dragging in the water. And I'm scared to death, like, of doing the, the, the face plant thing. And so my butt is just dragging on along in the water. And after, I don't know how, it felt like a quarter mile. But probably after a few hundred feet, they're just, like, screaming, let me let go. And I let go. But this is being in this situation where the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin. You refuse to repent. You're continuing to do sin against God. You continue to be in rebellion. It's like you're holding on to the rope and of, of, of sin and it's just dragging you through the water and your face is going below the water and you're about ready to drown. And all God's saying is stop it, let go. And I'm here to bring you to the surface by the blood of Jesus Christ and redeem your heart. Just let go. Just stop it. And I'll surface you and I'll bring you home and I'll take you to safety and I'll make sure that you're present in that throne of God once again and you can find repentance and healing in the presence of the Almighty God. Just stop it. If you're here this morning, you're not without hope. Confess. The fact that the Holy Spirit's convicting you is a beautiful thing. Don't fight against Him. turns to the church and he says be encouraged and I'm so glad he does this but before I go on I want to read a verse to you Matthew 7 21 and 23 Jesus says this not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, when you say you're a child of God, but yet have no brokenness over your sin, that's a terrifying thing. Because what you reject is the person and work of Jesus Christ. What you reject is the blood that he shed on our behalf. What you reject is the power of the Holy Spirit. You reject God. And there is judgment for those that reject God. And it is terrifying. And despite what the latest posting by the Pope says, it's eternal. And it's real. And it will not be enjoyable. But he turns to the church and he says, be encouraged. Why should they be encouraged? Good gravy. At this point, there's a cold sweat running down everybody's back. At this point, you're going, 
oh my goodness, are we a part of these? But remember, he said to them, I don't want you to go back to the elementary teachings again. He's saying, I want you to be confident in your faith. I want you to understand who you are in Jesus Christ and live in light of that. And he says to them, but recall, aka remember. And he's going to give them four things that they're to remember. Recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. And I want to stop right there. So basically, he's saying, look, look at your life. Look at how you've lived. You've endured suffering for God. Like, you're not getting involved in sin and living in this nasty sin cycle over here. You're actively living for God, and because you're actively living for God, people are coming against you, praise God. Now, I don't want to belittle what the Hebrews were going through here this morning by saying we've suffered to this degree or kind. Because most of us have not. Any of y'all get the voices of the martyrs? There are people out there suffering to that degree and kind. And we need to be praying for them. But let's not put my neighbor, like, had his dog poop on my lawn because I talked to him about Jesus to that degree and kind, please. This is, this is suffering and hardship. And he is saying to them, listen, you suffer well. You go through hardship well because of your faith in God. And it shows the only reason and able way you're able to suffer that well is because of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. You've been publicly humiliated. People know who you are, and they don't like you. You share in the suffering of others. You go to prison. I mean, when's the last time you and I went and visited other believers in prison and brought them stuff and associated ourselves with them? I don't see any hands popping up. But this is what they were doing. Believers were getting in prison. Believers were being placed there. And they're going and visiting them, putting, risking themselves being placed in prison, risking themselves being able to get jobs and to do, live in that life that God had intended them to live. He, they, they're doing this. They're going, hey, this is risky stuff. But he's saying, guess what? This shows you have faith in the Lord. This, this shows you're not part of that group. He says also that your possessions were stolen. And your response was joy. I can only imagine, like, if somebody walked in here right now, if, if, if the sheriff, who's a great guy, strong Christian in the Lord, it's a privilege to have a sheriff that is a, a Jesus pursuer, walked in here and he said, I got bad news for you guys. I need to go home with you today to each of your homes. And I need to take your guns. How many of you would surrender with joy? Surrender him with joy. Not likely. No, in fact, I've heard Christians say out of my cold, dead hands. I've heard Christians say, oh, they better come armed. Where is our treasure? Who is our treasure? What is our treasure? My guns don't make me an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the reality of what was taking place to these people. 
And, and beyond that, their land was being taken from them. Their land was their livelihood. Their land was their inheritance to their next generations. This was being taken from them because they were believers in Jesus Christ and they surrendered it with joy. This evidence that these were people of faith. I'm like, whoa! And we want to sit here and say, well, that's the high bar. No, that's the bar. Because when we correctly understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us, we're ready to say, it's all yours. Take what you want anytime you want, and I will give it to you freely because if you're taking it, it means I don't need it, and it means it's holding me back from pursuing you in the rest of my life. We got a really twisted understanding of in America. We really do what we think is our rights. It's all God's. And at any time, he can take it back, and it's okay. Because he'll provide. Christy and I don't have jobs. I'm not going there to take another pastoral position. We're going to go be tent makers. All we know is God said go. And we're going to go. It means we're going to be eating ramyun and noodles and living out of my parents' RV for a while. Okay. But I will not be part of this category of people who profane the name of God or mock the Spirit. Because when God says, go, you go. And the beautiful thing is he provides. Amen. He just takes care of things. Amen. He never calls us to failure. He calls us to abundance. And abundance isn't wealth and possessions. Abundance is a is this wonderful life in him. And I don't say this because Christy and I are the cat's meow. You know us too well for that. Amen. You've seen us struggle too well. I mean, this is Stephanie and I were talking this morning. Like, once again, I'm like telling her, thank you for enduring with me. I've put Stephanie through, oh my goodness. I know, I don't know how many people in this room would have remained my friend if, if I put you through the same. I really did a lot to her. And I hurt her deeply. And yet she, she asked me to stand there and deliver the message at her husband's funeral. Amen. We obey. That's what we're called to. Amen. And then he says, endure. Have confident endurance. Don't, don't throw away your confidence. He says here, starting in verse 13, 35, therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't think lightly on how you've served God. Brothers and sisters, Christians should be the greatest at celebrating things of all people at all times. I don't know why the world thinks we're such a, a humdrum type of people. Like, we should celebrate. When God does something through you, when God does something in your life and, like, gets a hold of your heart, we should celebrate those things in great fashion. He's saying, don't throw away that confidence. Don't throw away those things that God has done through, through you. Don't think them little. Because if you think them little, then you'd fail to understand that it was God who was at work. Amen. Celebrate them, not with pride of what I've done, but say, hey, here's another God story. God's done something great. Why in the world do we have to like pull teeth to get God's stories out of you guys? Like, Seriously. God works every week. Stand up and with great... I don't care if you're an introvert. Do it. Put God on display for all of us to see. I need to see it. We need to see it. 
Don't throw away that confidence, hope that we have, which is a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We don't throw away our confidence. Jesus is coming soon. And I hope all of us are yearning for it and aching for it and desiring it. Because this world offers nothing in comparison to the king. Nothing. When was the last time you prayed for the king to return? Well, God, I really would like to have a grandkid or two, or I'd like to see my grandkids reach their 10th birthday, or, or hey, God, I'd really like to get married, or God, I'd really like to graduate high school, or God, I'd really like, like, I'm telling you, none of those things will compare to Jesus. The only reason we think that way is because we're not really suffering. I guarantee you the people in the Middle East are praying for God to come back. Please, Jesus. I just got to watch my mom get her head cut off because she believes in Jesus. Please come back, Lord. I mean, if you don't read about this stuff, shame on you. Quit take the blinders off. We got people in this world that are dying for their faith. Read about them. Pray for them. It's coming our way. America is a hair's breadth away from being in that position. Look at the media, look at the news. Christians aren't as popular as once we once were. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. And he's calling us to demonstrate what we believe in our, by what we do. And I want to encourage you with this final word. He's calling us to understand that faith is not perfection. But faith preserves. He's not looking for you and I to live perfect lives. He's looking for us to live faith-filled lives. And as our faith increases, yes, we sin less. We desire to have sin have victory over us. And we are exposed in different areas of our life. And we confess them. And we live lives that more closely reflect to how, who we are positionally in God because of Jesus Christ. But he's not calling us to perfection. So confess. Repent. Desire holiness. Desire obedience. In those desires, we discover this abundant life in God. I know this body of believers pretty well. Most of you. Some of you, welcome. Glad you're here visiting with us. Came on a rough Sunday, but really glad you're here. I'm confident you're not those that will shrink back. But I'm also confident we need each other to stay strong in this journey of faith. 
to be obedient to what God has called us to and what God is calling us to. To live faith in the coming day and age. And that house that God has given you, you thought it was going to be a great vacation home. Someday you may be housing a bunch of members of the church body in it. And it'll be beautiful. We don't know what the future holds. All we want to do is be obedient and not be hung up on possessions, on wealth, on what we think we deserve. But when God calls us to obey, we stand ready to hear him and not be those that shrink back. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much your grace, your mercy, and your love for us, that you provided the perfect high priest in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you, Father. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here here this morning, and all of us have stuff going on in our lives. Lord God, in, in some of its areas of sin, and some of its areas we're contemplating sin. Some, some here this morning are contemplating, like, is this just going to be really desirous and good to take hold of. And we're looking at that evil fruit and we're going, I wonder if it tastes good. And I pray right now, Father God, that the Holy Spirit would intervene in our lives and we would turn away from that. And Lord, if we've taken a bite and we've gone down that and we've been rebellious against you, Lord, and we refuse to repent, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in this place in a powerful, mighty, rushing wind kind of way. And convict our hearts so that we can't even barely speak and get the words out. Forgive me, Lord. And Lord, God, in that surrender, we'll discover that abundant life in you once again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that convicts, and I pray. You would never stop. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. I don't know you, I'm excited to hear some God stories this morning. Um, so if you're visiting with us, this is a portion of our service that we have dedicated and desired to put God on display. We share stories not to say, look at me, look at what I did, but to say, look at what God is doing. And we get to celebrate that in each other's lives. As we watch evidences of faith being put on display that God is moving and working. So who's going to start us off? Well, start. Well, okay, Lois, here we go. I'm going to start today. Everybody that is at Livingstone Church on November the 10th, 2019, has just heard the truth about our God. I am so thankful for this pastor of ours that's not afraid to tell us the truth because we all need to know. This man has delivered a message today that we pray the whole nation we hear about what God wants for his people. This time last year, my husband was dying, but let me tell you, this church here has not forgot me. A year's nearly gone, and they're still with me. 
but we cannot thank you enough for coming and joining with us. I love you, everyone. Just let Scott's message do something in our hearts today, every one of us, and know that if we repent, Jesus is willing to forgive us. That's another thing I love about this man. He repents with me every Sunday. So we are very blessed to have had Scott for our pastor. Thank you. And once again, I have to follow Lois. I don't know. Um, many people have been asking about my dad. Um, this past summer, they found a spot on his lung, and they took a scan. And um, he, they, my parents have been going to Arizona for 16 years, and there's this thing down there called valley fever that um, it's actually a spore that you can get on your lung. You inhale it. Most of the time, it's not a big deal, but it mimics cancer. And so once you mess with it, then it does bad stuff. But anyway, so he had the scan. It was inconclusive. They said, come back in October. We'll see what's going on. So I've had several people come and ask, and I'm like, I don't know yet. I don't know. Well, he had his scan. Everything's fine for now. They're going to do another one in three months just to make sure. Um, however, the day before he got his results, he had another stroke. It's the second one in four or five years. Um, but like I keep telling him, Dad, this isn't like earthquakes. Earthquakes, you want lots of little ones so it'll avoid the big one. I said, you don't do that. So I ask again for some more prayers for him because they're not modifying any of his medicine. And being in medicine, it's hard to not have him say, oh, they're putting me on this or they're going to help me with this. They're just kind of letting it ride. Of course, my faith is so strong, and I tell him, Dad, you've got this whole church Amen. praying for you. Amen. So um, the good thing is, is um, we got to spend some time with him yesterday. He looks really good. He looks tired as normal. It wasn't any, a major one, so it hasn't affected his speech, but he can't drive, so that makes my mom crazy because then she has to do it, and she doesn't like to drive. But... Um, it's just, it's hard when you have parents that are getting to the age where, I mean, he's 81. So it's hard to get him to that point and then not know. But I just love our God and I love my church family and our life group. Wouldn't get through any of this without you guys. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. I'm going to grab you, Linda, right after I get Dave here. Hello. Uh, my name is Dave, who doesn't shave. Um, I work with Young Life, and this last couple of weeks, well, I wasn't here last week, so I couldn't report, but um, two Wednesdays ago, uh, we had our biggest group that I've actually had since getting here last year. We had 30 uh, kids at Wildlife, and they all heard the gospel of Jesus, um, and a few of the kids were acting out a little bit, and so I had to have sort of an expectations talk after the, um, after the gospel talk. And I was really concerned that that would scare some kids away. Um, they would think that I was keeping them at arm's distance because I had some expectations for them. Uh, but then this last week, we had a very similar number, and so it didn't scare them away. And um, they are being loved, and they love that, and they keep coming back. So um, just... Praise God that uh, these students are uh, 
whether they're coming because they want to hear about Jesus or because we love them, um, they're hearing the gospel uh, every week. So that's kind of my God story this week. And I'm actually going to give it to Melissa. Okay. Hey, so um, my God story is really incredible. Um, God did a miracle in my life about 10 days ago. So when I came home in 2012 um, from living in Africa, I've been living in Africa for 12 weeks, um, my body stopped processing gluten. And so I had to start eating gluten-free or else I would become violently, violently ill. Um, the doctors did different tests and it was inconclusive. And so I just started doing what made my body feel good. And so I would eat gluten-free. That was seven years ago. So um, in July, the Lord started convicting my heart that I had... Um, been making this and I part of my identity that um, I was claiming it over my body that I was saying that um, this inability to process was part of who I was now and he was like that's not who I've created you to be that's not who I've created how I've created your body I'm the healer will you trust me and I was like oh I think so and so I started um, with baby steps of just like not claiming it over my body, step by step, obeying the Lord. And in, so that was in July. In August, um, we were on our honeymoon and God asked me to ask him for a few big things that I've been really fearful to ask him for. One was the job that he provided 10 days later. One was healing in my body for um, this inability to process gluten. And I asked very fearfully because <laughs> I would get so sick. And I knew that there would come a day where I would have to eat wheat. If I was asking God to heal me, I would have to eat this thing that would make me sick. Mm-hmm. And that was a really scary thing for me. And so then in October, I went to a prayer night, and again, I asked the Lord for healing, and he said, you're free. And I was like, wait, what? Are you sure? <laughs> okay. Um, and the, the word that, that came with the healing was that, Melissa, you're free, but I want you to walk out in this freedom. So I have given you the freedom, but now you need to go walk in it. And... Um, in the Bible, there's a story of Bartimaeus who's blind. And he says, Lord, Lord, um, and is calling him over to him. And um, as Jesus is passing by, Jesus is headed somewhere else. And Jesus has pity on him and says to the disciple, bring Bartimaeus to me. And so Bartimaeus, blind, comes over to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus says, go on your way. Your, height, your sight has been restored to you. And that was the same thing that I felt God was doing in my life. However, this was like three weeks ago. And it took me, my life group knows this. Like it took me a solid like 10 days to muster the courage because I was so scared. And in that time I was praying, Jesus, help me. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And um, last Friday... There were all these teenagers at our house, and I was like, okay, it's now or never. Like, I was just finally, the Lord was like, it's time. 
And so I had a piece of wheat toast, whole wheat toast, and I was totally fine. And ever since then, I've been eating gluten, and the Lord has restored that health to my body. So I praise him for that. Amen. Um, Good morning. Uh, I don't have my usual little sidekick, Eileen, with me today. She, um, and I asked her if I could ask for prayer for her. She took a fall again this week, and she broke her wrist, left wrist, and then um, bruised her left leg where she had fallen and uh, broke her femur last spring. So she is recovering. Her attitude, I think, is getting better. Prayers are answered, and so continue to pray for her. And then I'd also, also like to uh, reiterate what Scott said, how we need this body, uh, the one other time I spoke up about God's story, I talked about being in love with a possession I had mm. and how God called me on it. Well, a couple weeks later, I was called on that by Kathy Furman to ask me where the lamp was. And uh, the lamp is in my son Sam's living room right now. God. Sam is someone I've asked for prayer for most recently uh, from my Bible study group. It, he's been struggling. And I also have a daughter that struggles. And God answered prayers this week in a most unusual character, my son-in-law, for both of them. And I just thank him for that, that he is supportive of both of them and changing lifestyles and things like that. So thank you, God. I want to thank the church for praying for our ESL program. We just got through our first week, and uh, we didn't know how many students we'd get. We have uh, 17 registered for our evening uh, classes, Tuesday and Thursday. We have uh, seven here during the day, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And in Manson, uh, they reported 17 uh, students, but this much more than numbers. These are the ones that are uh, very seriously wanting to learn English, and we're seeing more and more and more their desire to come to know the Lord. We're giving them the Scripture as well as the uh, uh, English. Uh, in fact, we give them English Bible as well as. Uh, how to say buenos dias or good morning or whatever it is. But uh, I do thank you so much for praying. We are going to be needing another teacher or two. So if uh, it lays on your heart, if God lays it on your heart, we'd really, really appreciate that. Please stand. Please stand with us. Let's end this service with a celebration that we're going to boast in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his 
riches, but let the humble come and give thanks to the one who made us, the one who saved us. I will boast in the Lord my God. I will boast in the one who's worthy. I will boast in the Lord my God. I will boast in the one who's worthy.
and that she wanted us to, sh to share those songs. And I'm just overwhelmed with the way the Lord has answered those prayers. And as my son said, Karen isn't was, Karen is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. A couple of final things before you head out. One of them is David, Cindy's brother, is going to be at their house today. Uh, he's one of our missionaries that we support at 2 o'clock. Um, if anybody wants to go and hear an update from David and what's going on in their life, if you want directions to Cindy's house, come see Cindy immediately following the other thing is we're coming into the Christmas season, and part of what we do is we do the bell ringing for the Salvation Army outside of, it's usually Safeway or the post office, those areas. We have two dates that have been scribed to us, the 29th and the 8th. Clarissa, am I right? 29th and the 8th. That sign-up sheet is go see Clarissa. Clarissa, wave your hand in the back. And usually they're hour-long time slots, so go see Clarissa if you would like to go and ring the bell for the Salvation Army. You know, we're going we're gonna to conclude now, but if you would like prayer, we would love, you know, Christie's waiting. Don't forget the missionary Christmas cards. Yes, also missionary Christmas cards in the back. I seriously, we will, like, at the end of November, we will shut the doors, lock the doors, and not leave until those are completely filled out. Um, so you might want to go by and sign a few on your way out there today, okay? Um, I'll, I'll, I will pull that, okay? So, um, but we'd love to... There we go. There's a cookie and everything. So if you love prayer, we'd love to pray for you this morning. Um, go with God having a wonderful week on mission for him. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let the humble come and give thanks to the one who made us, the one who saved us. I will boast in the Lord my God, I will boast in the one who's worthy, I will boast in the Lord my God. I will boast in the one who's worthy. I will boast in the